You're listening to a Healthy Insider Podcast. With Todd Runstead, Ingredients and Supplements Editor, Informa Health and Nutrition. Hi, this is Todd Runstead at Natural Products Insider, and welcome to a fascinating podcast. Today, we are meeting with Stuart Tomp. He's Senior Vice President of Business Development at CV Sciences. Now, CV Sciences is the name behind the brand of Plus CBD Oil. Um, this is a leading brand uh, in the country. Stuart, you, at last count, I saw you guys were in 5,400 stores in the country. I don't know if that's still accurate. It's probably, if it's not accurate, it's a number bigger than that at this point. Um, so talk a little bit about how you've, how, how you've come to this point of being in 5,000 stores. You guys started before the 2014 Farm Bill, right? I mean, talk about grabbing a tiger by the tail, right? We did. We did. We had a uh, we had a very early first movers advantage. The um, founders of uh, the company at the time, Canavest is what it was called. It is a publicly traded company. But the founders at the time saw this new wave. And they didn't come from the natural product space like we come from, but they were business people and they saw this new wave of hemp and cannabinoids and cannabis. And originally they wanted to get into the cannabis business itself. And as they were researching cannabinoids going through PubMed, they showed me this thumb drive when I got started there. They had every paper on CBD downloaded. And they kept seeing the term cannabidiol, cannabidiol, cannabidiol. And it was sold as the sort of the non-psychotoxic. I don't like to say that it's not psychoactive, right? It crosses right. the blood-brain barrier. It's a misnomer there. And um, in any case, these folks had put together that there was a naturally occurring CBD in small amounts in food fiber hemp, a.k.a. ditch weed. Okay? Right. And the stuff that was currently only being grown to make hemp seeds and hemp seed oil and hemp rope. And so it's just really exciting to see over that period of time this novel idea that CBD cannabidiol was one of the 100-plus cannabinoids not listed on the controlled substance list, right? The controlled substance mm -hmm. list of uh, Schedule 1 listed tetrahydrocannabidiols, mm -hmm. right. but it didn't specifically THC. spell THC. Yeah, all of the isomers, yeah. but it didn't spell out CBD. So in any case, yes, they had a first early mover's advantage. They had the vision that you could get very low amounts of CBD. Notice how I didn't say THC. Less than 2% CBD from these rich, oily, agricultural food fiber hemp plants. And that by CO2 extracting those flowers, that we could get this hemp superfood. So yeah, that was 2013. Yeah. I mean, in retrospect now, yeah, I mean, that's, that's looking pretty smart. Pretty smart indeed. Because yeah. that extract, that early extract, you remember when it first showed up at Expo East? Yeah, yeah. That dark green stuff in those syringes, remember how scary <laughs> that, that looked? Yeah. Um, that was the simple CO2 extraction of a food fiber hemp, yeah. the kind of seeds we were already eating and we were already familiar with. So now I get to look back over all these years, and yeah, that was a really good move to... Uh, to look at an extract of food hemp instead of trying to make a cannabis extract. Right. And then, I mean, it took a certain amount of, uh, I think the technical word is cojones, to go forward with that knowing that this is derived from the cannabis plant, which is, you know, every regulator's favorite boogeyman. 
and and yet still onward you went and you made it because here we are the 2014 sign bill, farm bill got signed the 2018 farm bill got signed so you're still in the leadership position which means that you've been doing something right right um, why don't you talk for a minute about how the market has changed in the last five years you know a little walk down memory lane there you are you know maybe the 2014 well, how about just before the 2014 Farm Bill got signed, where you're still, you know, maybe you're selling it out of out of the trunk of Josh's car. And well, Josh didn't work yet. Oh, he wasn't even there us. yet. He wasn't even there <laughs> yet. And, and you know, and so maybe you're you're just going store by store, and now all of a sudden, boom! You guys are coast to coast, 5,000 stores. That's more than there are natural independent retail. So that suggests you you've made it into some mainstream chains. Yes. Oh yes, and 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 back then when when we started, we went after everything. I mean, I remember some of these business meetings we had. We were going to the pet shows. We were going to the uh, nutrition shows, the doctor shows, the vape shows, the hemp shows, the cannabis shows. I mean, the trade show schedule was just yeah. impossible to maintain. <laughs> and we just knew that through attrition that it would just start to uh, to make sense. Early on, we thought we could sell bulk material. And uh, I remember myself, and I won't mention the names of the legacy brands. We all we have mutual friends. Yeah. Anyway, I knocked on the door to a lot of giant companies, and I said, "Hey, would you like to get into the hemp extract business?" And they knew me, and they indulged me, and said, uh, "No." <laughs> they actually took a look at it and said, "Great idea yeah. for you, because <laughs> yeah. you don't have anything to risk." Right. Yeah. And we have these legacies. So the big herb companies, I don't need to mention their names. Right. We all know who we're talking yeah. about. And they're in the game now. And they, But they had to make that call at the time, which I didn't understand then, that I understand now. And, I mean, bully for CV Sciences for saying, okay, well, our, we're throwing all our chips in. You know, we're in on this. And you made it. Well, it was, it was especially because they didn't buy. Right. Right. So we right. had to become our own first customer through circumstance rather than virtue. And I remember going into um, my former boss's office at the time, the CEO at the time, and telling him that things weren't going well with one of these big hopeful accounts, right? I was gonna sell to a big company. And he said, uh, if this was easy, everybody would be doing it. Don't you understand? We're early adopters. We're early on in the cycle. Yeah. Colonization hasn't happened yet. We're in the expedition phase. Remember Cortez? Burn the boats! Right. Burn the boats. And what he meant was, if you're really going to do this, we'll end up being our own first customer. So if you recall, we made that plus CBD label and we showed it at supply side. Do you remember? We had that first big hemp summit because you were part of that, weren't you? Yeah. You put that whole thing on, that's right. Right. You did. Well, guess what? You know how much CBD... We're just we... building community here. Oh, they made me... Oh, that's right. You were there. You know how much hemp CBD we sold at that first summit back then? Nothing. We had Alexandro Macrianas and Dr. Maroon and all of these oh, experts yeah. that whole day of education because we were trying to sell bulk oil to other yeah. companies. It was too early in 2014. Uh -huh. We launched Plus CBD Oil and it only worked in independent health food stores. So what happened was we knocked on door, the door, the right. door. And I think what people misunderstood and still misunderstand is that's where we still are, Todd. Even though, yes, they're topicals in CVS and in Kroger, that sounds great. We all know what the turn rate is on a topical product. 
How often do you buy Bengay? No, really. Even if CBD works topically, and it seems to have some benefit, right? Uh, we don't have the dearth of evidence like we are uh, developing on, say, some of the pharma side of CBD, and we only have a little bit of evidence on the dietary supplement side of CBD. We even have less evidence on the topical side of CBD. And yet, because the FDA regulates topically differently than a <laughs> supplement because you're not ingesting it, yes. that is what has given mass entree into the CBD. That's market, right. That right? They gave mass the, uh, the green light, so to speak. Right. And then the irony is that that's an area where at least we don't have uh, safety concerns, thank goodness. Yeah. We just do not have the kind of evidence that I think we really will all demand and probably require to make sense of do we need hundreds of different topical CBD products. So now it's a beauty contest. Right. Now it's a marketing war. And then hopefully responsible players will be able to publish data and then look at the few pharma companies. You know, there's a pharmaceutical company pursuing topical CBD for conditions. Do you know Zenerba Pharmaceuticals? No. no. The Zenerba gel uh, they're using topically for uh, fragile X and behavioral syndrome. Behavioral Fragile X? Is that like syndrome X? Probably it, not. It, no, it's a behavior issue. You oh, know? Okay. But they're, they're, they're hoping to compete. This is a pharma company. Yeah. Hoping to compete by using CBD topically like a drug to avoid having to take that high amount first pass because of the potential drug-to-drug -drug interaction. Hmm. Now, if they can demonstrate, and this is exciting work, that because of the receptors in the skin, not just CB1, which is in the top part of the skin, CB2 is in the lower part of the skin. G-protein 55, which is going to be called CB3, that's the mast cell histamine response. It seems to be these topical products are dampening a hyperactive uh, sensitivity response. And FDA is very interested in topical first. And so it appears as if we're really onto something here. My concern is, again, we don't want the marketing to get ahead of the science. It may be that in the right delivery, at the right amount, we've got something remarkable on your skin, and that might end up being a drug and not a dietary supplement or a topical product. Mm. So I think we're but, opening but, up Pandora's box. Well, yeah, and the supplements industry is good at that, and Mary Hempsters are definitely good at that. Um, and here I am talking myself into more confusion on your show, <laughs> and I'm not doing it on purpose. No, well, I'm, I just, I just, just the state of affairs. I love know? the conversation so much, and yes, there is potential benefit with it being used topically, but if you've looked at the stuff on PubMed, there's not a whole ton of it. Like there's an anti-sebastatic hmm. role of CBD, so it can be kind of drying. Uh, and again, that hypersensitivity response. That's why I think the after action market reporting, the adverse event reporting, will be a very important thing for us to look at just to see what kind of response we're getting to products and what kind of risk, if any, we're seeing. So since you said AERs, and that's a part of supplements uh, regulation, let, let's just take a little step back. Um, GMPs is another thing that you have to do if you're developing dietary supplements. That don't often happen here in the hemp CBD world. Um, you guys obviously do that. Um, the other thing that is uh, much less prevalent in the supplements world is doing an NDI or a GRASS. Um, which is sort of a, an ingredient supplier or a manufacturer's attempt to get the FDA to at least say, we don't object to the safety, mm -hmm. to the toxicity studies that you've prevented around your ingredient. And CV Sciences are the first and I think only company to have submitted GRASS. Um, 
for certain applications for that. So, but just to be clear, it's, it's self. Self-grasp. Yes. Sure. And the reason it's a big deal is many people that are listening to this conversation closely misunderstand that the self-affirmation process is unique and distinct from what, say, Manitoba Harvest did, where they received and submitted full grass acceptance as a food product. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a, a major point of differentiation, and that's why when people understand, we basically took that concept of the food fiber hemp which is now allowed in food. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the submission to FDA, did you notice how much CBD they've allowed the FDA has in food? If you add it, I took a look at it closely. Yeah. 735 micrograms, just underneath one milligram okay. in food. Okay. That's in hemp seed right now. Okay. That's generally recognized as safe. The highest that's level- That's a small number though. Wouldn't. That's a small number, but then at the high end, the FDA has also said that as Epidiolex, up to 50 milligrams right. per kilogram. In fact, in their uh, drug... 50 milligrams per kilogram. Per kilogram, but up to 250 at the highest possible end. So 250 milligrams? Per kilogram. Yeah, right. So, so the point is... We're talking like a couple thousand. At the highest like level person. or below one milligram at the lowest level. So do you understand what I'm saying? The FDA is already saying those two things are safe. Which is pretty big because that's one of the things that apparently the they're FDA arguing is about considered. the safety. Right. So the fact that they're saying that it's not safe, well, let's get well, let's rephrase that. It's safe to be used on top of standard of care as a drug, and it reduces seizures an additional 40%. So that's a modern medical miracle. It's okay in hemp seed oil and hemp milk for the daily consumer at the highest quartile, 90th percentile of consumption. Uh, will get to the edge of maybe testing positive on a urinalysis. So you can eat enough hemp seeds and enough hemp seed oil to get to the edge there of potentially testing positive on a urinalysis. So that's already now... For THC we're talking. For Well, just yeah. to set off any drug test. Yeah, yes, yeah. for the THC part. Right. Specifically, now CBD can give a false test on a urinalysis, but the bioaccumulation of THC is what FDA was concerned about. Right. They looked at that in reproductive studies. They've said in their work that the people that are eating hemp seed and hemp seed oil will get to the edge of maybe testing positive. So the point that I'm making is the safety needs to be established in between. What is above 735 micrograms, right in food, that's safe, and what is below 20 to 250 milligrams per kilogram as a drug? Right. So what food amount or supplement amount is safe in between? Yeah. And that's where CV science is. Well, and that, that's a very wide swath. Right um, doesn't that sound huge to you? It sounds quite huge. So that would be like nothing we've seen before. Yeah, which is great because then the, then the, the safety aspect is taken care of. The, and the thing that, that strikes me is one of the reasons for CBD's um, wide-scale consumer acceptance is to the to the marginally informed consumers they're thinking oh that this is that pot supplement right and I live in Colorado I've heard radio commercials you've heard of CBD it's like marijuana only it doesn't get you high and, and yet it still has a bunch of health um, benefits and it's like yeah that's the message that's going out there you don't need a structure function claim to sell CBD because consumers get it. It's like, oh yeah, that's that pot thing, but it doesn't get you high. But like, yeah, there's millions of people in America who've smoked weed 
who know that it's like, yeah, okay, that's good stuff. And then, oh, but I don't get high. Yeah, I bet there's still some good stuff that happens to you without getting high. That's part of it. You know, that opens up this huge market. And so now when the FDA comes out and, and they're saying, okay, we're going to try to put an upper limit on it. And so what they're, what you're suggesting they're hinting at right now is there is no upper limit. I mean, not really from a practical perspective. If you're selling a supplement that has 10, 15, 25 milligrams CBD per serving, do you think that you're going to be good to go in five years? Let's talk about CBD in the future. You know, because because USDA is about to come out with their regs. They already did, but that's like proposed. It's going to take probably two years before they finalize that. FDA, three to five years. Congress might step in. Is anyone going to address, like at, at this point, it's sounding like, carry on, Christian soldiers. Uh, you know, keep, you know, 25 milligrams of CBD per serving you're going to be good to go. You're not going to have to reformulate. Am I, am I telling tales out of school? What do you think? Well, I, I loved hearing your perspective. You've been close to this. You've seen it. Um, I'm biased because I've been in the business and I have skin in the game. Um, I'm no longer heading up the regulatory and compliance department. Dr. Duffy Mackay is, and I, and I report to him. So I'm sort of coming at this uh, from a business standpoint. So with the audience that's listening to this, I'm also going to share some of my, my thoughts from that perspective. Um, I think that some of the safety assessments that are floating around, and I've had a chance to, to look at some of them and talk to some of the other larger players that are making their own safety assessments, I think that... Um, the idea of coming in based on what is established in the toxicological literature where the Noels are referenceable and as more evidence comes in possibly increasing that so just to get to a number uh, I haven't seen anything that supports 25 milligrams from an efficacy or from a toxicology from a toxicology standpoint that, that would support it in terms of, of safety, in terms of what the FDA is expressing their concern. So if they're telegraphing that their concern right now is safety, then the most conservative thing to do is to look at the formal safety data and not ask for more of this stuff as a supplement or in the food supply than we can substantiate. Because it looks ridiculous. Yeah. Going in, when you listened the other day, I was in the front row and FDA said, we do not have two separate rules. The rules are the same. And that's a big conversation right now. So we go through the front door. Everybody demonstrates the Noel of whatever their matrix is because that's the real issue. The thumbprint is totally different between each of these products, right? Depending on what you're growing, how you're growing, where you're growing, what you're extracting, how you're concentrating. Mm -hmm. right. We just looked at the definition from the U.S. Hemp Authority certification program together. Their definition of broad spectrum is two cannabinoids and one terpene. Huh. Who knows what that means? Right. So every single product is going to have to stand on its own. And what I heard the other day is the rules are the rules are the rules, right? If an exception is going to be made, an exception will be made. I guess we'll all hear about that at some point. They didn't say it was going to happen anytime soon. So I think the most conservative thing to do is to say, yes, there is a potential issue here in terms of hundreds of milligrams available floating around for people. Let's start low and slow. Let's be conservative. Let's ask for less, but demonstrate the safety of what we're asking for. That's what I would recommend. Yeah. 
So what does that bottom line say, that if you've got a product with 25 milligrams, keep going until further notice? No, I, I, my recommendation would be to really spend the money to, to do the tox work. I mean, you do a 14-day yeah. and a 90-day. You and I have talked about this yeah. for years. Um, this formal tox work, and I'm looking at a copy of it right now for the people listening. Yeah. This was the most uh, mysterious thing I've ever been involved in. Uh -huh. And the reason is because I thought that the industry would be really excited about an assessment of the genotoxicity and subchronic toxicity of a CO2-extracted supercritical fluid extract of what? Aerial parts, the flower. Okay. This was received with deaf ears. And to my knowledge, this is the only one of the established Noels. So I think right. that we're just a little bit ahead of ourselves asking the agency for more than there's enough evidence to support the safety of. And knowing that whatever you're growing, if it's truly hemp and it's full spectrum, according to the U.S. Hemp Authority, it'll also contain all of the omega fatty acids that come from the seeds, yeah. which means a thumbprint established for what is a true hemp product. We have a cannabis monograph already. Remember, there's no hemp monograph. Right, right. So I think once we establish what a thumbprint is for hemp, and then we've got uh, rules around the seeds. That could take a long time. Oh, no, this is going to take a long time. But yeah. then rules around what you can grow, because look at how the rules are now. U.S. Department of Agriculture has it now where they're setting it based on testing, right? The plant can never go above that 0.3%. Right. Well, what happens if you're using genetics or seeds that don't jibe with that with the environment? Right. Then you're going to potentially have material at any time throughout the season that's out of compliance. Right. <laughs> yeah. Further elucidating the complexities of the situation. So that was why I couldn't wait to talk to you, just yeah. to share our perspectives. That's why I think that the most conservative route possible, do you understand what you have? Do you understand the genetics of what you're growing? Do you have characterization of the extract? Do you have a Noel and safety data? Do you have after-market adverse event reporting? Is it made under GMP facilities? And is there any evidentiary support that the amount that you're recommending isn't somehow deceiving customers? Now, if there's no claims at all, but you should have some support. So that right there, Stuart, the last minute, I'm glad that everyone has uh, stuck through this 20-minute podcast so far because I think you just nailed it there as far as these are the... These are the, the considerations, the hoops that any self-respecting hemp CBD company need to go through in order to really firmly establish themselves on the right side of the law, even as the law evolves. And as soon as FDA acts, it'll be mandatory. Right. And so it might take some time for the FDA to get their FD act together. Uh, but, but it's also a good time to be responsible. We're coming you know, here with the Council of Responsible Nutrition. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, you, you know, and I mean, you know, people get a paycheck and they put a little bit into their health insurance and they put a little bit into their retirement. And so I would advocate any company that's out there, you got to you got to start socking away money to make that investment into safety and tox work and and efficacy and testing and characterization and identity testing. Especially if you love stuff. this plant and this whole conversation, yeah. and you want your company to survive, I think there's more than enough for everybody yeah. to try to differentiate ourselves on the branding side. But this is the first time I've seen where there's been a foundational miss on that basic stuff and then a rush to the beauty contest at the packaging right. at the store level. Yeah, well, that'll happen. 
Stuart, thank you for stopping by and having this brief little conversation, kind of sticking our nose under the tent of the hemp CBD market with the leading company that's out there. Good talking to you. Let's keep going. Thank you, Todd. All right. For more award-winning podcasts from industry experts, go to insider.com and click in the podcast section. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play by searching Healthy Insider Podcast. Hit subscribe to never miss an episode. This edition of the Healthy Insider Podcast is brought to you by Supply Side West, 